Hello, busybodies. Welcome to another episode of The Busyness Paradox. I'm Frank Butler here with Paul Harvey. Good day, Frank. And in this episode, we're actually picking up where we left off with our last episode, part one on email. Now, one of the things that we were ending on was this discussion of how people might have this need to feel busy and how that might impact their mental health. And that came up in this conversation because email is one of those things that keeps us busy and keeps nagging us to do stuff. So I was saying that not email itself, but the larger problem that email can contribute to of constantly feeling like there's more to be done, like the to-do list will never be reined in unless we just keep cranking away. Because every email you receive is another potential addition to that to-do list. Whether or not it's actually something that benefits you, you have someone there expecting a response. Either that or it's spam. Pick your poison, you know. But in any case, that's where we left off. With me blaming email and all that other stuff for at least some portion of the alcohol abuse and other unhealthy forms of escapism that we see stemming from the modern workplace. And with that, folks, let's get back to it. Yeah, and it's not just alcoholism. Other types of substance abuse, drugs, they're doing or finding ways to self-medicate, which brings me to a point where, especially going through this pandemic and seeing the impacts on others, I really do think that it's time that maybe we start considering getting annual mental health checks like we do physicals. That's an interesting idea because like you said, we're masking what in many cases is probably a mental health challenge. We're numbing ourselves against it rather than addressing the problem. Not saying that email is the cause of this all by itself, but again, it's a symptom of a larger issue that I think you're right. It's got mental health impacts that we're really not paying enough attention to. I will say that I was never really understanding of people who would say, oh, I've got anxiety. And I just, I would kind of brush it off. I would try to be empathetic. But then, you know, after having gone through like real anxiety that culminated in like a panic attack situation, you know, that's changed sort of my mindset a little bit to the point where I'm like, you know, it probably isn't a bad idea to sort of have a physical for your brain as much as we get a physical for our body. Yeah. I mean, I know a few guys and they're all guys who have had similar experiences with anxiety where to see them from an outside perspective, they were fine one day and then all of a sudden they're having these massive panic attacks. And in some cases, I think it even comes as, as a surprise to the people having them, especially men who are not always thinking too much about how we're feeling there, you know, how stressed are we, all that kind of thing. Well, we're not talking about it, right? And not talking about it. So it builds up to the point where your central nervous system just starts misfiring all over the place. Permanent fight and flight mode and all that stuff begins to happen. So. Yeah, you're right. I've not had to go through that myself, but I've seen it happen to enough people that I would certainly hope to avoid it. And if an annual checkup helps that happen, then yeah, I'm all in. Sort of a tangential yeah, to yeah. our email thing, but I think it's kind of still a mental health challenge, right? Like, I mean, I think email overload or just overload in general is a mental health challenge. Yes. I think it's obviously much more psychological when you start hitting those roadblocks of, you know, I'm not answering these emails anymore or I'm getting into the paralysis aspect of things, right? I just, I'm, I've hit paralysis. Yeah. I don't know what to do anymore. I've got too much I've got to do. And that inbox is what's triggering that. I was encouraged at one point to possibly consider counseling for my ongoing fear of email, my inability to you know, actually open that inbox. I mean, it was terrifying to me to open that thing because I'm afraid of seeing, oh my God, there's all this, these people are mad at me or something. I, I pushed back on that because I was still recovering from 
my uh, tick-borne illness at the time. But I thought it was a legitimate point that there is something psychological happening here that goes beyond a normal experience to just to literally be afraid of seeing that little <laughs> Apple Mail logo bouncing up and down. You know, that's not normal. No, I know, you know, I think that probably could be part of the the business problem too, right? People have to feel like they're busy from a psychological perspective because they feel like it's a coping mechanism maybe. And these little things like banging out a few emails or hitting a few responses, like those little administrative tasks, they can be basic reinforcement theory. Right. It feels good to, to accomplish something. And so you do these little things. It's a reward mechanism, it's, right? It is. And you're seeking the bigger reward and seeking the bigger reward. Well, that's the irony is that you're not going for the big reward because you're doing all these little reward things that in our context, instead of working on the next big study we want to publish, we're banging out emails to students asking questions that they could have easily figured out on their own. You know, this this makes me think about that gambling situation, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's you you do these little things because maybe one of them pays off big. Yeah. Right. I think that's the same thing, right? That's why people go and get addicted to slot machines because they, yeah. they go and they put their money in. And, you know, they're, they're playing a quarter at a time or a dollar, two dollars, you know, and they might win a dollar fifty here or ten dollars here. They lose ten dollars, whatever. But they're going for that, you know, because they won the other day two hundred bucks, mm -hmm. but they've already spent five hundred dollars to get there. But that two hundred dollars felt amazing. Yeah. It's like a high. Right. Yeah. It's that high. And I think that might be part of that. Right. Mm -hmm. It might be part of that. I'm responding to these emails and, you know, there's that intrinsic reward. Hey, I'm getting it done. I'm checking things off. I'm getting accomplished. But you might be trying to seek that bigger payoff because there might be, have been one email that sort of mm -hmm. you sent and it's like, oh, you know, the mm -hmm. reward that came with it was great, right? Yeah, like, I hadn't thought about that. Sending off a paper being done, right? So here about, how about that? You know, for us, it'd be, I finished my version of the revision. I've sent it back to my co-authors. That's kind of a big relief. It is, yeah. That's kind of, that, that's to me almost like a closure mechanism where I send it to them and I'm like, oh, that's a reward. I've, yeah. I feel accomplished. And the email has now become symbolic of that. Not me saving the document and quitting it for the last time, <laughs> but rather getting it to my colleagues. Yeah. In any case where responding to an email closes the loop on something, it's kind of satisfying, whether it's a big thing or a small thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I do want to say I, I'm not averse to email. The example you gave earlier about all those people who uh, didn't speak English well, like that's a legitimate benefit of email as a communication medium. It does serve valuable purposes, but like anything else, if you overuse it, it causes people to go nuts. You know, I actually thinking about that too, it should be not too difficult to identify the language of origin. So, you know, you think about it, if I'm sending mail from here, my computer's set up in American English. Whereas if I'm in Germany, it's highly likely that my computer is either set up in German, you know, so my mail app mm. would be in German, or at least my location data would say I'd be, I'm in Germany, right? Mm -hmm. So it should be something that maybe even emails flag based on geographic differences or language differences. Simply, you can have the ability to flag an email as being from a foreign colleague. Oh, yeah. You could do that. That might be something that would help say, okay, you know, I'm going to prioritize some of these because I know that there, there are language challenges and I know those will be important because they're emailing me for a reason because of the time zone differences and all of that. I don't know, just kind of a technology thought. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about... All right, yeah, I bet with the keyboard maestro, uh, <laughs> you know, the automator, you could do this. Uh, but, you know, again, I worry that is that the best use of your time? Right. In your case there, maybe. But even then, it's if email wasn't so used and abused, you wouldn't have to prioritize those important emails. They would just be the emails that you have that need attention. So it's 
eh, even if it's not, even if my view of it contributing to the larger problem is a bit extreme, it's still an unfortunate result of the larger problem right. that we have to do these creative things to filter the good out from the rubbish. Well, and I'm wondering, you know, so I, one of the things I, I've thought about, and it's become something that's just kind of stuck in my mind a little bit, especially after reading that that article on, on Apple's management and how they sort mm -hmm. of focus on an experts leading experts kind of thing. I feel like as you know, one of the things that you have to learn as you move up the ranks into management and such is you're really becoming a project manager in a sense. Mm -hmm. You know, and as you move up higher in the organization, you you're now over managers, which means that you're probably responsible for multiple projects, which makes you more of a program manager, etc. And I think one of the things about being a project manager is this notion of being able to organize things. To an extent, I don't, you know, it doesn't mean you have to be a perfect organizer or anything like that. But I wonder if maybe that's some developmental aspect of things that we should do, creating some sort of programs to help master certain email things. Or maybe your IT provides you a setup for your email based on the way you think you're going to handle that messaging after some amount of time. So your IT folks come to you and say, okay, you've been using your email for a while. What do you think will help you? And then they help you set up your email in a sense. And that, that's no small thing. Uh, and this is an argument that I've heard before about creating automations for various aspects of your work life, that it kind of forces you to think logically about how you approach tasks and what's the most efficient set of steps to achieve a task. And those can all be very valuable skills. So I, I do agree with that, that even something as simple as figuring out an email filtering scheme for your inbox, it's forcing you to do some, you know, fairly high level logical thinking that for some career paths more than others could pay off real big down the road. You know, having that ability to view things kind of like a programmer. Yeah. I think just in general, that that ability, you could at least leverage it as part of your development. I'm learning how to do better organization. Like I know I've gotten a lot more effective, especially once I started to understand smart mailboxes, for example, mm -hmm. mail, that's made me better in a sense, because by creating those, I create my little projects. And so mm -hmm. it's actually made it a little easier because I know that I can go click on that and find everything I need associated with that versus using folders even, you know, and I, and I think folders are really powerful, but that's almost like a post hoc kind of yes. thing, or you have to create rules every single time. Yeah. Whereas I can sit there and create one sort of general rule for the, the smart folders and they just kind of do their thing and it doesn't always get it right, but it's right enough. Yeah. You know, you need to get into Hazel. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a Mac app. Um, it's it's a lot of what you're talking about, except not just email, it's just files on your computer in general. Hmm. But but to your point, you know, those are skills that probably have analogs outside of dealing with email. You know, learning how to compartmentalize tasks like that is right. something you can use. You know, fixing your car or planning a vacation. I don't know. It's a generalizable skill. It's not a bad thing to have. You know, fits under that purview of project management mm -hmm. in general, and I think a lot of jobs really are projects, right? A lot of the things we do exactly. in organizations are, are projects yep. of some form. And technically, you know, the definition of project has a defined beginning and end, but almost everything has a defined beginning and end that you're doing, right? You, yeah, you, know, you they, die someday. Right. <laughs> exactly. Life is a project. <laughs> That's not what you want. Sorry. No, but it's, you know, it, it could theoretically apply, right? Yeah. You, you would, you set goals for yourself and then you have deliverables along the way. I mean, it all sort of fits, right? It fits in the strategic mindset in general of strategic mindset. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. For example, I mean, I remember one of the things I had set for myself is that, you know, by 40, I wanted to have all my student loans paid off and be relatively debt free, except for maybe the house and a car, you know, mm -hmm. and 
for sure, you know, be able to pay off my credit cards regularly, that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously there was contingencies, but in general, my thought was, okay, the big stuff I wanted paid off minus like a house. I worked toward that, right? Because you have to create thoughts of, okay, I'm going to prioritize that as one of my goals. You know, we got to maybe think about it. How does it, what emails are going to be important to us helping achieve our goals? And therefore, maybe that's how we think about prioritizing what gets responded to or the way we answer things or what we do or do not do. It's like the check engine light in your car. You're driving cross country. That check engine light serves a purpose. It can tell you some very important information. But if you spend the whole trip stopping every two miles to see why that check engine light came on again, running diagnostics, you're not going to ever get to where you're going. You're going to be very delayed. Yeah. That's the problem with email. It can be crucial to a point. And then beyond that point, it can become a distraction. And here's one of the things that actually I've started to do a little bit more, less so with regards to email, but just more in general. I get a lot of notifications, like my news app will notify me on my computer and, you know, a website will do this or the stock market says, hey, you know, I get all these like different, you know, stimulus or stimuli rather. That was actually the problem I had on my initial Apple Watch is everything would trigger my initial Apple Watch. And so I've since stripped that down to what I think were more important kind of things. Like I said, my wife's email address as being a VIP address. So that yep. will notify me. Um, obviously, text will notify me, but not all of them because I have some text actually on do not disturb all the time. Um, especially idea, group actually. chats that can get blown up. I have it where it's set up where like I get notified on my Apple Watch about very specific things, right? Things that I should be looking at my watch about. But when I started to do on my computers, I started to turn on the do not disturb more. And I'm starting to think about using my calendar more and saying, hey, for this two hours of time, no responding to anything unless it's something like important. And that, you know, would still come through my Apple Watch, for example, not on my screen on my computer. Like if my wife needed something, that mm-hmm. text would come through and I would look at that, but otherwise, you know, remove all stimuli so I could just focus in on writing, mm-hmm. for example. And I think that's something maybe organizations should encourage more too is saying, hey, block off a part of your calendar every day that you don't respond to yep. emails for. I actually have done that more, for example, even with my students, with my syllabus, right? I, I will say that I don't respond to emails after nine o'clock at night. I will not respond to them until at least the earliest is eight in the morning. And typically I give myself about a two mm-hmm. hour window when they do send it. So if I do have a two hour block, you know, I could prioritize their emails first with the smart mailbox and go, okay, students first in this context. It's a pretty good system actually. And yeah, I'm stuck on automation now, but you could automate that up pretty easy. Have your do not disturb automatically turn on during those times and then sort out all the stuff you get so you know what things to respond to. I like that. I might steal that idea. Actually, it's funny because do not disturb actually allows you to customize when it comes right. on now on your computer with a uh, big sir. Um, Obviously, folks, we're, we're Mac people, so we geek out on those things. But really, no, I, I think maybe it's time that even in the curriculum somehow, maybe this is something that high schools, community colleges, universities need to consider some sort of, here's how you handle all these other stimuli. I'm sure there's plenty of research out there that shows that email is like really bad for you at the end of the day, you know, in terms of getting things done. And, and so best practices. We're going to look into that. I think you're probably right. I, I, I would be... I, I bet there's something out there, you know, yeah. IO psych literature, OB literature. If there's not, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do something to change that. Well, I think I, I think that would be a good plan for us, wouldn't it? That's a good idea. Hmm. So, I, I, but just in general, I think there's probably something out there, and I'm sure we could find it. And if not, I, I think to your point, then it's time mm-hmm. we do something about that. But we probably do need to have a, a class on how to life based on the technology, right? Because I mean, these days you see everybody's just burning their phone yeah. constantly, walking around, right? And, you know, walking around, I'm not as concerned about, but when they're in class, they're on their phones or on Facebook Messenger, you know, 
they don't need to be right. They that's the, that's the time that if they're not using their computer or, or phone to take notes or to record or whatever it is, then they probably don't need to yeah. be doing it. And they, they need to be developed in that mindset. Maybe that's a, a, one of those things that we need to focus more on is being able to better manage your time to get things done and to be uh, aware in the appropriate times of when you need to be aware. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, just working applied logic into grade school curriculum could go a long way towards this. But, you know, it's not just for developmental or kids. You know, I've I'm guilty of a lot of the same things that we often blame the millennials or Gen Zs or whatever you want to call them these days. Like, yeah, I'm pretty much buried in my phone all the damn time. And if I'm yep, in a meeting me with a laptop in front of me, like, ah, I'm going to be on Reddit. Like, it's just, it's going to happen. Like, I, I just don't have that ability sometimes. <laughs> I think it depends on the meeting for me. It does. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like right now, it's these kinds of things. Okay. I'm not in Reddit. I'm, I'm checking my text messages, for example, because I know we're doing a live feed and making sure it's working well. But I don't have anything else up. Like my email's buried away. It's closed. So I really just have our window yeah. up and focusing on us. But at the same time, if it's a meeting I'm not interested in, yeah, I'm going to be yeah. distracted, right? But, you know, to your point, being engaged like that in the now is really uh, an enjoyable thing. Like we've talked about how we, we do these shows and planning sessions even when we're super bogged down with other stuff because it's the most fun part of work for a given week. You kind of recharge a little bit by not being bogged down mm -hmm. in a hundred other things. You're just focused on one thing and having a conversation with one person or multiple people, but about a specific thing that interests you. It's, you know, psychologically refreshing, I guess, uh, rejuvenating. Yeah, no, no, you know, it gets the wheels going because we're talking about things that we wouldn't normally, but it's still very yeah. applicable to what we do. You know, I think we do address a lot of things yeah. that are interesting to us and hopefully to others, but it, it yeah. does get those juices going, right? Because I feel like some of those things help me then think about when I go into the classroom and I'm conveying my strategic leadership week, for example, thinking about maybe email is going to be more on that, my mind at this point at that saying, hey, you know, if you want to be a good strategic leader, you got to flesh out the distractions and focus in on the people around you. And then that then ties back into active listening. So to filter out the distractions, especially when you're dealing with others, you have to then engage mm -hmm. in active listening skills. I think that's one of those benefits of, I, I couldn't even imagine using a phone or getting on Facebook Messenger during one of our seminars in grad school. I think we would have been oh, God. kicked out of the program like the next day. That would have been our last seminar. <laughs> and I think that that's sort of why, because when we have these conversations in class and we read these articles, like you start getting those wheels going. Yep. And you're Even if you kind of tune out for a little bit in class, because you're thinking about research ideas, because that's sort of what we're developed to do, you're still learning. Yeah. You know, even if you've tuned out for a little bit, you're still- You're creating networks of things in your mind, ideas yeah, coming yeah. together in your subconscious mind. And these are things that I think rarely happen when you're communicating through email or being distracted by email. Well, I think, you know, at least you and I, texting-wise, we've, we've occasionally come up with some goals, yeah. just like texting back and forth. But I think to your point, it's not as fleshed out as it would be if we were just right. talking about it. In a, like this context here. I mean, right. again, Zoom is, is not necessarily always the best, but at the same time, it's better than a lot of alternatives, right. I think. There's a time and a place for different mediums and two people talking like this through Zoom, I think is really not hugely different than if we were in the same room together. Right. But say there was five of us and ordinarily two of us would kind of have a side conversation about something that's not interesting to the other three, that kind of thing you can't really have happen in Zoom because you're all monitoring each other literally right. all the time. Right. No, I agree. I think certainly Zoom is very good for 
these kinds of things like what you and I do. And, I, and especially, I think, too, with our research groups, right? I find it better than a conference call because mm. I can also share oh, my God, screen. Yes. You know, like I can get up there and I can share my screen and show sort of the, like maybe some output or. You know, I hadn't thought of that. That is the best thing about this pandemic is we might not ever have conference yeah. calls again. Because now everyone knows how to use Zoom. That was like the worst form of anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That was just no, no. I, but you're right. You think about, it, especially when you're like working on a project together with people. And you know, in our case, I'm saying research project, but it doesn't have to be a research no. project, right? It could have been any project. But being able for me to sit there and throw up like either a graph or maybe a table out and be like, "Hey, look at this table. This is really interesting." And they're we're all looking at the same thing, so we can all understand. I don't have to spend maybe 30 minutes trying to write an email around that. We can just talk it out and be yep. done with it in five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody walks away with so much more from that. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think. Honestly, in my diatribe against email, I hadn't even thought about that. The inefficiency of putting your thoughts into words when you can't, you know, bounce something off of somebody in person and see, okay, they didn't understand that at all. I got to try again. Trying to come up with the precise wording is kind of a hidden inefficiency of these otherwise efficient forms of communication. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's other distractions in the workplace. I know Slack is a big one. Uh, there's so many things like that. Microsoft Teams. I think there's so many of these things like that that just interject such constant interruptions. Yeah. You can't get into a flow if you're constantly getting pulled to one side or the other side. You can't get into a flow. And that's why there has to be some level of structure, right? Some, And I mean, maybe less structure per se, but more routine, right? Because once you get into a routine and can practice that routine. Which is a form of structure. Which is a, absolutely a form of structure. But like I'm thinking like if you block off two hours a day mm-hmm. to do an activity that's pertaining to your job, you're not going to be very good at it, I think, in the beginning. I've been saying for 20 years, I'm going to do that four hours a day devoted to research <laughs> in our case, but one task. And yeah, just can't seem to pull the trigger on that. It's hard. Yeah. We keep coming back to sort of certain themes, you know, maybe we need to create more structure in an environment you know, leveraging the technology to maybe minimize some of those destruction, uh, dis- destructions, <laughs> distractions, yeah. destructions too, because it can, it can be destructive. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But yeah, you know, maybe, maybe creating some structure, using tech to help with the distraction, even if it's going to make you efficient in a sense, right. it's more about let's be efficient in the right way and not get better at like answering emails, but let's make sure that we're doing our mm-hmm. job first and then be more logical in how we right. handle our emails. Triaging yep. the emails, right? Because I mean, you might have a student who needs an answer before a test. That's going to take priority yep. over a colleague who reaches out and says, hey, I got this idea for a research paper. I mean, to quite be quite honest, right? That's going to, you, you can yep. get back to that colleague later, later, and they're not going to be offended unless you're getting close to a deadline. Maybe that's why we like deadlines so much because it, it forces structure on you. Yeah, that's actually, that, you know, that could be a great point. I like to impose like internal deadlines a lot for, for projects I work on. Um, it hasn't worked really well with my GA, but that's okay. <laughs> anyway, we would love to have your input on all this, you know, whether it's email related or if you've got techniques or maybe an app or something that you do to help with structure, to help this be less distracting, or if you have any feedback on this at all. You know, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Ironically, yeah, <laughs> ironically, we're, we're telling you to send us an email um, or tweet us, you know, or website, tweet us, what have you. In the future, we're probably also going to start doing these live. And that means that there's going to be some sort of channel to be able to, to live chat with us too. So that's something that we're going to be trying to do more of once we kind of get established. So anyway, with that, I think, you know, I think we're probably 
Time to sign off and uh, go catch up on emails. Go catch up on some emails and maybe eat some turkey later. That's true. It's Thanksgiving. It's actually mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're doing this on Thanksgiving. We're working on Thanksgiving. Yes. For you. For you. For you. Our wives are very angry. Uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm I, sorry, baby. Nah, I, I, think, I, I think I'm okay. I think we're okay. all right thank you everybody good day thank you for listening to the busyness paradox our show is distributed by paul harvey and frank butler music was adapted from it's business time by jermaine clements and brett mckenzie our production manager justin one day we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'd love to hear from you please send questions comments or ideas for future episode topics to input at busynessparadox.com or find us on Twitter. Also, be sure to visit our website, busynessparadox.com, where you can read our blog posts, including The Thing About Email, where we continue our discussion of the topics addressed in this episode. Also, please take a moment to rate and follow or subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast provider.